Hello and welcome to Indie Dotes, the podcast for independent creators. I'm Susan Bond, I'm your host. Today I have Seb Rose on the show. Seb is a software developer. He's also been, I have to mention, um, a tree planter, I think that's what you call someone who plants trees, um, a pastry chef, an assistant site manager for a festival, and has built a warehouse, amongst other things. Uh, and today he works for Cucumber. Welcome to the show. Hi, good to be here. So can I just ask, I'm curious, out of all of those things that you did in the past, was there one that was your favorite? Oh, I definitely building. I like building things. So um, yeah, actually the warehouse I didn't build, but I did build a barn made out of straw. And since then I've built things out of wood and more buildings out of straw. And uh, I really like the, the act of construction. Do you, and you still build things today? And yeah. Like physical, physical things. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm halfway through, maybe halfway through, uh, being a bit optimistic. I am, I am some way through building a straw bale sauna at the moment. A, wait, 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 wait! A straw bale sauna. Yes. Do, so, can you tell? Does it is it a permanent structure? Or does the the you know what I mean? Does the hay sort of disintegrate over time? Is it meant yeah. To be temporary? So it's it's not a temporary structure. So it's on a it's raised off the ground on a wooden a solid a very solid substantial wooden base, and uh, theoretically, if it's properly ventilated, it should last longer than me. Even because saunas, you know, typically aren't that damp. I know there's water that you pour on, but it's not like a steam room. So a sauna is normally a, a dryish mm. heat. And the nice mm, thing yeah, about that makes sense. and straw, straw has uh, because it's breathable. You know, you can you can allow the the moisture to be um, pushed out by the heat. So um, well, it's an experiment. We'll see if it's if it rots in five years, then it rots in five years. But I know it should last 15, 20 years without any problem. Wow, is that for your family, you and your family, or for somebody else that you're building it? No, it's for me. It's for me. Yeah, um, most of my family seems to have left home now, so so it might just be for me. Oh, that's so great! Oh, wonderful. All right. Well, I can't wait to see pictures of this sauna when it's uh, when it's done. Great. All right. So that's not, we're not here to talk about saunas, but I always find uh, my guests have always done interesting things. Uh, like one of my upcoming guests uh, once ate a scorpion. And mm. I just needed to hear about that. So I like to hear about the interesting stories from people when they have done a lot of different careers. I've done a lot of different careers in myself. My first official job was working uh, in a broasted chicken fat shack. Um, okay. It's broasted, not roasted. It's like a very particular kind of like dumping the chicken into this vat of oil, but it's not fried. It's really interesting. Anyway, that was my first job. I came home smelling like chicken all the time. Mm. And then I got jobs in coffee shops and I came home smelling like coffee shops all the time. And then I said, forget it, let's work on the internet. And so I don't know what smelling like the internet all the time <laughs> is like, but it's better than chicken or, t or, or coffee. <laughs> it's not something I re recommend you Google for. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let, let, let's not. So um, how long have you been a software developer? How many years have you been doing that? Uh, you, right? Over 35. So I got my first, I was, so you talked about your first job. My first job was a, uh, was at a gas station as a, I, I cleaned the toilets there when I was 13, 14 for Ooh. pocket money. And, uh, then one day, one of my neighbors put me in touch with a guy he'd met who was writing accountancy software in BASIC. And I just sort of picked up a bit of BASIC at school and I got a job. I went from being paid, so this is UK money, 60 pence, like 60 cents an hour. 
which is what I was being paid uh, cleaning toilets to being paid three pounds an hour. Like wow! Uh, so that was a five hundred percent rise. And after that, I thought, you know, this software thing, I don't have to deal with other people's uh, toilet habits, and I get <laughs> paid five times as much. This is this is a winner. That's um, that's, that's good. That's really good. Well, and um, I, I love that story. It's like interesting how people get into what they're doing. So. Um, so you've worked both for yourself and for someone else throughout your career, right? You haven't, you've done sort of, you've gone back and forth a bit. Yeah, I, like most people, I started off with a permanent job um, with companies that no one's ever heard of. In fact, my first job was really interesting. Um, and then after, for my first three or four years of, um, after graduating from college, I sort of did six to nine months of work for a company. And then I would uh, quit and go off and hitchhike or go off and run a festival and then come back and do some more work and around the mid early 90s I started doing freelancing which I did pretty much solidly until the uh, financial crisis of 2007-2008 um, where I went and took jobs with companies that you might have heard of like Amazon and IBM uh, and when I came out of those uh, I went back to being an independent and from there I met Matt Wynn and became part of and yourself and then became part of Cucumber Limited eventually. Yeah, well we should we should we should talk about that a little bit about how you and I met. Um, so uh, Matt Wynn and Chris Parsons were doing something that they called a BDD Kickstart. That was the name of the, the workshop that they'd been doing, I think, at the BBC, right? They'd been yeah. doing these workshops at the BBC, and then they wanted to, they decided they wanted to do it uh, publicly. And that's when they kind of brought me on board to help them sort of uh, promote it and get the word out and, you know, all those kinds of things. And you had already known Matt and, and Chris at that point, correct? Well, I didn't know Chris, actually, until I joined Kickstart. I met Matt through... Uh, well, it was mainly through a conference in Edinburgh, and also I invited him. So I, I, I don't run, but I'm part of uh, the BCS, which is the British Computer Society, which has got a branch in Edinburgh, and we run a monthly meeting. And I, for quite a few years, I, I did a lot of the inviting of people to come speak. And so Matt was one of the people I invited to come speak. And it was well, it was then that I got to know him, and uh, it turned out that they had more work. Uh, or he had more work than, than he could uh, deal with himself. So I, I was getting some, some hand-me-downs from Matt at the time, which was yeah. good. Well, yeah, and, and, and so, you know, the BDD Kickstart, which became Kickstart Academy, ran for a little while, and then, you know, it sort of wound down, and uh, Matt, along with um, Aslak, Hellasoy, and Julian Biesman, uh started um, Cucumber. So tell me, you know... Were you actively, when Matt came to you about working for Cucumber Limited, because, you know, Kickstart Academy was all, every, no one was really an employee of the company, right? It was all sort of, everyone That's was right, yes. kind of, you know, contractor, 1099 as we call it in the States. Mm -hmm. um, and we were all over. I mean, I was, in, I was in the States and most of you were, well, you know, UK. UK-based, yeah. Mostly UK-based. So when, when Matt came to you about Cucumber, were you actively interested in taking more of a, a job or were you still sort of wanting to stay independent? Well, it's odd because it's not... I don't, I don't think this is actually very different from being independent. It's just being independent as a partner with four other people. So it, you're closer... You're t tied closely and you have a 
you have significantly less uh, independence to choose the directions to go but you have a lot a lot of other support um, artifacts of support that you don't get being an independent so I still don't really think of it as a job so as a director mm. I guess when I wake up in the morning there's some things that I'm committed to do but typically uh, I look for the the place in the company or the place in the stack of things that need done that I think I can uh, bring uh, bring most benefit to myself and my colleagues by working on and choose to do that and the great thing about uh, Cucumber Limited is that it's a very very flexible company for all employees uh, and, and, and their partners and the wonderful thing is that my four co-directors all have extremely young families so actually they take loads of time off to uh, deal with sick children and take them to school and pick them up from nursery and all that sort of stuff so as a as a slightly older person with grown-up children uh, I look like I'm really hard working because I have to take hardly any time <laughs> off. well and so I'm, I'm curious about about the um, the structure so is it like more of like a partnership and it's all equal, equally distributed between the five of you or yeah so we um, when I came on board, uh, we agreed that they would redistribute the shares, the shareholding, and so in the end, each of the five of us, five of us holds 20% of the company. So we all have equal say in, mm. in how it's gonna go. And with five people, of course, you don't get a tie. Um, I mean, we actually haven't ever had a disagreement where we've had to go down to the vote, but it's quite a, it's quite a reasonable number, I think. Mm, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, so it's not really an employee, it's more, joining a, gr a group of other folks um, that's right yeah I mean we have we have a couple of employees and a few associates that we work with and uh, you know we are we're actively growing at the moment um, cool. slowly but we are growing and uh, yeah we're looking forward to to the next round of sort of uh, moving up to the next level uh, which should be happening in the next few months well, and so, so um, what kind of stuff do you are you doing for the company? Do all of you do like administration or you know like the business stuff or maybe running trainings or like what does that what does that look like? How do you guys divide the tasks? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So when I first joined back last May, um, we had a meetup down in London. We had it was because it's we're a hip company we had to be in a hip part of london so we we're in shoreditch where all these of places are of course you were in shoreditch of course yep. we were and we're, <laughs> we're in this totally hip but absolutely ridiculous room in the basement of a hip you know co-working space a little bit stuffy and we had post-it notes and uh, flip charts stuck all over the wall and uh matt thought we should think about the what roles we were going to take and dot vote who we thought should do each of the roles um because we did, we already knew that we had to have some sort of, um, not so much silos, but some specialization because we had a couple of things to do. So the first was, because we're a bootstrapped company, we need to keep the income coming in. Um, you know, we've got, we have at least five families and two employees that need to get paid every month. Uh, and because we're bootstrapped, that means we have to keep the training income coming in because that's where the money comes from. But because uh, the vision of the company is to produce Cucumber Pro, which is a software product, we need to keep um, uh, a solid, solid progress going on the development team. So we split things up 
Um, strangely, uh, and given that I've been a developer and you know an entrepreneur in various ways, it seems odd to me. But I got I got voted to be both the product owner of Cucumber Pro and the product owner of the training business, which uh, you know at least they both start with the words product owner. But it quickly turned out that there was just no way that I could do both of those. Um, so I ended yeah, up, those are big. Yeah, those are big. Yeah. And actually, I, it turned out that I was not good as a product owner of the, the product of the Cucumber Pro. So over the time, what's actually happened is that I have become the person that sort of owns the training business. So these days, you're really working on, you're focused more on the training side of the business. Yes. And so does that mean... You said a little bit of, like you said, delivering, but does it also mean sales? Does it mean, <laughs> like, yes. what does that mean, being a part yeah. of, like, running that? <laughs> so, um, I do most of the sales calls. I write the proposals to customers. I do the negotiations. I uh, train and onboard new associate trainers. I deliver some of the training. I develop the training material. Uh we have a we have a, a guy working with us uh, called Theo who does uh, a lot of the marketing and organising of public courses, uh, but yeah, so basically anything that involves um, trying to upskill customers, that's that's an area that uh, I I own, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Have you done that before? Have you owned a, a a product like this? I mean, I know you worked for yourself, but. You know, this is a full complement of skills, right? I mean, we're talking about, you know, sales and even an over, you know, negotiation business stuff overall for marketing, even though Theo's doing some of the stuff, yeah. you still have a say into it. And then training associates and the coursework, that's quite a, a broad, broad swath. Have you done that before? Well, I've done, I haven't done training, running a training business before, but, um, uh, you know, when I first moved to where I live now, I ran a an organic small holding, which ended up uh, delivering vegetables to two hundred and fifty customers a week, and employing five people and a whole bundle of volunteers. So that was, you know, building up software systems and uh, teams of people. And then just two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen, uh, I ran the XP twenty seventeen, and um, XP twenty sixteen conference which was uh, it's the world's longest running agile conference and that year it was in edinburgh because i was running it so i brought it to edinburgh and that was that was bootstrapping a conference so i think many conferences run from year to year and it's got the same same organizational structure and it's got uh, sales lists and things like that the xp conference has been quite unique in that each year whoever has volunteered to organize it starts from scratch with nothing no bank account no mailing list no funds just nothing and you have to build a conference and make a go of it um, on your own so both of those required um, you know quite a wide range of I wouldn't say yeah. call them skills um, but enough uh, confidence and stupidity to think that you can do a little <laughs> bit of everything <laughs> I like you call it, uh, say, say confidence and stupidity uh, versus skills. I mean, you know, because all of those have really distinct skill sets, but it doesn't mean that folks can't do it at all, right? If, if there's one thing that I think I've learned in, you know, the half a, half a century that I've been on the planet, it's that, you know, an expert is better than someone who just wants to try and do it, but someone who just wants to try and do it is way, way better than somebody who doesn't want to do it. You can get pretty much anywhere with um, uh, enthusiastic and committed amateurs. Uh, you might not become uh, the, the world's next big company, but you'll certainly 
uh, have a chance of succeeding. I, I really like that that idea of like committed amateurs um, and motivation and what 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 that can do for you. So this sounds like the training. It's not. It's not like running the. You know, really push, running the training product. Is, it doesn't feel that uncomfortable for you because you've done some of this stuff before with, <clears throat> you know, XP Day and these other things. Mm-hmm. What up? Now I'm curious about coding. Are you coding at all? Are you doing much software development directly these days? I'm doing very little software development. Um, in my, I'm, I have a couple of side projects. So. I'm involved with uh, an open source organization called CyberDojo, which provides an online um, training environment for people wanting to learn test-driven development, TDD. Uh, uh, my friend John Jagger developed that, but I'm, we went and turned it into a registered charity a couple of years ago, and I'm the treasurer of that, and I do a bit of coding there, especially around keeping the environments where uh, you can practice with Cucumber going. So um, that's one of the things that I do a bit of coding around. I do very, very little bit on Cucumber itself. Um, uh, lots happened since I last was involved, and so I don't, I don't get much time working in there. So I do a bit of coding, but not a huge amount. Well, so how is that? Uh, okay, I have a number of questions here for you. Here, sure. there's always like spurs a bunch of questions. So the first question I have is, how do you feel? You know, you know, you started your career as a software developer. You've certainly done other things, but how does it feel to not be coding? Does it ever feel? Does it feel good? Does it make you feel anxious? Like, how does that feel for you? So it d- certainly doesn't make me feel anxious. Um, I'm, I'm, I've done my share of coding. I don't feel that I have to, you know, get four hours of flow every day to be a complete human being. Uh, mm. I like the fact that I still have a bit of it. And, you know, one of the training courses that I deliver on a regular basis is, uh, we call it BDD with Cucumber. And that's, you know, either Java or C Sharp or C++ based, and um, where we where we help people work through, a, you know, a very structured set of exercises with certain, you know, a good, a good set of defined learning outcomes. And... I, I'm still, I've, you know, I may not have the chops of the the younger uh, the the younger folk who are uh, who are coding every day, but when it comes to solving actual problems, um, I still seem to be able to write the code, make and compile, and crucially, and this is the thing that I think I still have that I find a lot of people don't have, which is that I'm able to read the error messages and <laughs> and actually go, oh, I've made a mistake. Whereas a lot of people see an error message and they would go straight to the code and try and uh, work it out from first, just from reading it themselves. Let the compiler help you. Um, mm. we, we developed another course just at the end of last year called Testable Architecture. So we did that as a, as a group. So myself, Matt, Aslak, um, Steve and uh, Julia. Um, but in the end, it was, uh, I certainly did one of the code samples, the, the C-sharp one. And that was really good fun. I enjoyed doing that. So, well, I mean, the reason I ask is because as folks become more, you know, software developers become more senior in their career, many times they get, you know, they get lured or pulled away from the code, right? Either they're maybe um, they're managing other people or, you know, they become a product owner or they're mentoring and teaching other people. And so I, I'm always curious about how they respond to that, whether, you know, whether that changes their identity, right? Do you still call yourself a programmer? Like is that or a software developer, whatever word you use? Yeah, so I do because you know I I still have that background. 
I don't, yep. you know, I'm, I'm also um, a coach and a trainer. Uh, you know, if you read some of the, the Twitter profiles on people's, uh, you know, it'll say software developer and parent, you know, so yeah. you can be a lot of things all at the same time. I don't choose to focus on software development because in the current, you know, in the current structure of the company, uh, I can deliver more value by working on the training side of things and working on the training material. Uh, you know, when we started, I was going to join the mob uh, and help with, with Cucumber Pro, which is the product we're developing. but. Uh, it became clear that uh, I certainly wasn't up to speed with um, modern JavaScript, and I was better. I was more used elsewhere. Yeah, that, that's just so interesting to me because I, I think a lot of it. There's this question, right? You've heard other other software developers question about it, and what does make a software developer, and how does your career progress as you as you get more experience? Mm -hmm. So it just it's interesting to me, and I have no. I have no opinion about what's the right answer. I'm just always curious about how people choose to make their path and then how they feel about that path, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, I have a lot of colleagues out in the industry who just couldn't conceive of not having uh, programming as uh, the major part of their daily activity. I, right. I am not that person. Well, do you think that you were always that way? Like, like that you saw you know the broader like okay so there you know so my partner's a software developer and mm -hmm. he sees uh, he's been developing for 10 years and he sees software as a means to the business problem it's a solution it's a tool he does he sees it in a in a different perspective rather than like an end unto itself and there are some people who see it the other way around right so mm -hmm. i'm curious about how you saw that maybe in your early days or how you see that now? Well, I think I've always seen it as a, so to be, to, to be blunt, I've always seen it as a way of making money. Um, you know, so I, I started off writing mm. accountancy software and it was, it was I, can, I can finally buy my hi-fi system. And that's what I saw software <laughs> as. I went and did it at university and, and at university, I really couldn't see the link between what I was learning in, in university and actual business. Uh, when I got out into the industry, actually my first project was just an amazing project to be on and it was there that I started realising how little I knew about software development even though I had a degree. Uh, and I enjoyed uh, getting things working. So absolutely at that, at that point all I was doing was being told by, um, by my boss what needed to be done and making it work somehow, anyhow, with no right. thought to efficiency or elegance. Uh, and that carried on for a while and it was only really when I was a freelancer and I had a bit of time to go to conferences and read books and started thinking about you know how I could get better at what I was doing because I needed to, you know I was in a competitive environment that I started getting interested in design patterns and trying to structure software um, effect efficiently and effectively and really actually at th that point I was getting into some of the new stuff uh, what was then new stuff in C++ and I began and actually with C++, I fell in love with that language, which is really bizarre because most people hate it. They talk about... I was just going to say, yeah. I was like, I, we had, I think we had to learn some variant of it in college and mm -hmm. I, oh my God, I hated it. So that is interesting to me, not that I am any harbinger, but lots of people, <laughs> <laughs> certainly not. I, I, I'm a little a baby programmer in Ruby, but, but so what, wait, what made you fall in love with it? I was just curious. 
Um, I think what made me fall in love with it was that it it was just so elegantly opaque, right? It's one of those mm. things. The thing about both C and C plus plus is that you can actually infer what's happening at the machine level from reading the code. So it's it's like a very high level assembler. So you can write very efficient uh, efficient code with it. By the time you get to C plus plus though, there are an awful lot of rules that uh, it's it's a bit like bridge or chess. There's a lot of rules that are very structured. They're very um, uh, they're very well defined, except for when they're not. Uh, but when they're not, they say in the standard this is undefined. But it becomes a it becomes the domain of a language lawyer. It becomes actually uh, an undertaking in its own right. You know, for instance, there's a guy called Herb Sutter, and he wrote a couple of books which were called Exceptional C++ and More Exceptional C++, which were based on a blog that he used to write. And it, he used to set up a situation of code and then say, what should happen here? And it was a bit like an Agatha Christie sleuth detective, because they were all, it, all, they all seemed really simple on the surface, but there were all sorts of hidden gnarly standard-based gotchas in every single one of them and yet you could read these books or rather I could I read these books and I really loved them because it was just so much fun it was it wasn't actually about solving the problem anymore it was just about having fun oh interesting so that's why you like that language interesting okay so I got us off track here but I've always, it is fascinating to hear well so the whole piece about the business side when did you get more into like the business side of of code so to speak was it when you worked for yourself yeah i guess or before so. that you know what i mean so when i i spent three years in the middle of uh uh i guess my working life trying to get this organic business up and running and at that point i yeah. built a a software order on uh, an internet order system uh, and a bundle of internal uh, software to support you know the delivery process and that was really when I first directly got involved with uh, building software to support a business it just so happened that it was my business mm. before that I'd always been working as a contractor in teams you know I, I, you have to get to know the domain you ask you try and understand what it is that your uh, project manager is trying to achieve and uh, design the software to, to, to satisfy that but I, I, I didn't really care about the business it was frequently it was engineering or banking or stuff that you know never really um, lit my candle uh, and but it was when I was doing the organic stuff that I could be, I could see how it had direct effect on um, on my staff you know but how more effectively they could pack the bags if we had the picking list ordered in the same way that the bins were ordered in the warehouse and uh, how if the delivery driver would be more effective if I could preload the GPS with the coordinates of the delivery sites, you know. So those things directly impacted the running of the business. Um, and then when I went back to contracting, when that business ultimately failed, uh, I was once more disconnected. I was I was back working for a bank, and it was it was just boring. And I realised that I I didn't want to do work that I didn't care about. Um, I, mm. And that, I guess, is where it comes to. Yeah. So, uh, over the years, it was actually when I was working at IBM that I first, uh, I first played with Cucumber, and it was at that point 
that I saw that this was a way of connecting business people to the software developers and now I could care about what I was doing because it uh, the benefits were tangible and they were tangible for people that I cared about which was the development community so it was good yeah I, 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 I love that because cucumber really does get at that um, it's, it's really important part of it uh, and I like I said I'm very curious about this whole idea of um, I, th I think for in some parts of your career, not caring about, like just you're really into the code and the technology and, and you don't maybe care so much about, I mean, maybe you do, but I, th I can make a case for maybe you don't care as much about what, what it is that you're ultimately working on, mm -hmm. right? If it's like banking or whatever. And then I think, I think for some people that's, they always care. And then I think for others at some point that kind of shifts and they say, well, wait a minute, I really want to learn what the blend of this is and work on things that are important to me for whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So was that when you was, was that was it like IBM and, and Cucumber, did I hear that's when you started to kind of get more clarity around maybe a purpose you know, what, I'm not saying the whole purpose for your career forever and all time, but like what you wanted to do next. Well, that's where I first saw the, so IBM, I was a staffer at IBM and I got promoted to, I can't remember what they call it, but it was some, some senior tech who had responsibility for a team and I was trying to uh, encourage them to work in, in an iterative way. And I could see that we were missing out on a whole uh, lot of understanding of what the, the customer wanted to us to deliver uh, and, and we were just always um, failing to meet their expectations and that's where it wasn't actually cucumber at that point I was playing around with a tool called fit and fitness but it's the same space trying to make sure that we're talking the same language uh, and then later on I was when I was back freelancing I used cucumber at an insurance company in Edinburgh and you know we were we were working on a part of the product where they had real pains around making sure that very complex uh, calculations were being done correctly and they were coming up to a point where the laws in the in the UK were changing and they knew that the whole of the industry was going to be repricing at the same time competitively uh, you know several times a week if not several times a day and yet their testing cycle and the, their communication development testing cycle was in the order of weeks so how can you have a <laughs> cycle wow. in the order of weeks with when you need to be changing it in, in the order of hours. And so I brought Cucumber in, we talked about what it was that needed to be done, we plugged it into the, directly to um, models that the um, the business, and the business in this case were actuaries, but it, what the models that the business had created, and we took it from several weeks of testing down to about half an hour. And wow. you know, at that point you go, wow, you know, I have actually just delivered a huge amount of value without doing very much. <laughs> this is really good. Uh, and, uh, that's when I started, uh, that's when I met Matt and that's when I started really seeing the um, the benefit that this, this behavior-driven development way of working uh, could deliver the customers. Behavior-driven development, which is, like, which is abbreviated to BDD, is uh, very, is identical to specification by example and also acceptance test-driven development. So all of these all of these acronyms, all of these names really describe the same thing and what it, what its purpose is, is to try and make sure that the business and the technical parts of a software delivery organization really understand each other. The wonderful thing that tools like Cucumber bring to that process is that you can 
document what the software is supposed to do, specify what the software is supposed to do using business language, English language, and then Cucumber will automate that and allow you to write automated tests that are driven directly from the English language documentation, which is, you know, it's, it's a game changer because now uh, the business can see what it is they've asked the developers to do. The developers can automate those uh, specifications and then the business can check to make sure that the developers have actually delivered what they've agreed on. Well, yeah, and the thing that always strikes me is an English language. Yeah. Right. Like, like that. That that talks a lot about communication mm -hmm. and getting at the heart of communication between stakeholders in a business. Uh, Gashpar Norge uh, and myself have just released a book on LeanPub called Discovery, which uh, very short book, ninety nine pages or something, which uh, that describes BDD in a way that it's accessible to everybody in a software delivery organization, and probably even to your parents. That's that's the way I, we tried to write it in a way that anyone could read about BDD and understand what it was trying to achieve. And so what made you decide to write that book? Well, so um, so you'll know that Martin Aslak wrote the Cucumber book maybe yep. seven years ago. And yep. then when I f before I joined Cucumber Limited, uh, they asked me to uh, translate it into Java. So yep. I did translated it into the Cucumber for Java book. And then, uh, you know, so that so the Cucumber book was in Ruby, the Cucumber for Java book obviously was for Java, and the other major platform that Cucumber, or at least a flavor of Cucumber lives on, is .NET, C Sharp. And that's a language, that's a tool called Specflow, and that was created by Gaspar. And uh, Gaspar is, um, he's Hungarian, and he speaks way, way better English than I speak uh, mm -hmm. Hungarian, but he's also not a native English speaker, so he wanted to pair with somebody who understood BDD, uh, but that could also um, work the English language a bit. Um, so I want to get back to this idea of, and broaden it a little bit, not only just beyond, um, you know, Cucumber and BDD, but this whole idea of, um, D the devel developers and the business and then communication between them mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering about other insights or what's changed maybe even since the early days of being a so when you were a software developer what perspectives you know if you had a big perspective shift or change about that or did you always sort of have this idea about the collaboration or communication between them and maybe didn't have a way to express it uh, I well, it's really difficult, you know, to try and cast your mind back. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> it is, I know. <laughs> so what I'm going to say now might not be true, but I, I have the belief that I was always trying to challenge the requirements that I was given and say, why are we doing this? What you Don't tell me what to do. Tell me what you want to achieve. So um, mm. it was quite early, I think, in my career when I came across the first... Uh, solution masquerading as a requirement so my first freelance post was for the dodge group in in london and it was a short-lived project and we had this really nice australian um uh an analyst who had done an ssadm course and was just brimming with wanting to do diagrams and do it by the book and do it like this and he had it was early days of Windows and he wanted this funky control which had dials that spun and it went red when he pushed it too high. And we were working on trying to get this Windows control to look the way he wanted it for 
oh over a month you know because windows just kept crashing and the control wasn't responding correctly and maybe we just didn't know how to do it but really the question is is it that important what it looks like you're just trying to set up parameters that can be used to generate a report can we not just do a simple version of it get it working and then if it's actually a success we can you know we can uh, pump up the ui uh, and and that i've just been seeing that for the past you know so that was 25 years ago and it's not changed in 25 years people get fixated on things that are not operationally important or at least certainly aren't minimally important uh, and then get derailed and the whole thing goes down the can before you actually get to the interesting stuff well, right. I like that. They, they confuse what's really a requirement and what really isn't a mm -hmm. requirement. What you know, um, and I, I like that idea of like, what do you want to achieve? So it sounds like for you, you were thinking about that fairly early in your career. At least you had some notion of it. It wasn't like, and, and this is this jives with my understanding of you. It wasn't like a big sudden awakening for you. I mean, obviously you've done lots of things that are sort of business or business like, and then also software. So. Yeah. You know, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. Good. <laughs> don't have to. Uh, our challenge is to find the, the place where we can do these things uh, and both deliver value to the, you know, the, the community around us and also be happy in ourselves. Um, way to go. What did you learn about, you know, being a product owner and, you know, what, what have you learned? So what I've, what I've learned is if it feels like it's interesting, just go for it. So uh, people uh, and colleagues I've worked with have spent far too many hours of the day worried about will I ever get another job? What happens if this goes down? I couldn't possibly move here, move from here because I'll lose my security. And um, certainly living in the Western world, which uh, which I do and you do, uh, being uh, having experience and a background in tech, uh, I think that is the last thing you should do. There are certainly people in the world where. The first, they're at the, they're the bottom layer of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. They just need to get shelter and food to make sure that their family are fed. We're not like that. Um, you know, we are lucky. We have the freedom to do what pretty much whatever we want. And if we screw up, uh, well, we can just go and get a different job somewhere else. Or at the worst, we pull well for a bit while we look for another job. So if it looks interesting, hell, go do it. Because um, as one person said to me, Oh man, I've read it somewhere. They probably didn't say it to me. What I've certainly <laughs> seen written is um, it's not uh, it's not what you did that you'll regret. It's what you didn't do. Mm. It's so true. So so you're glad that you went and became a product owner of the training side of the business and and took that chance. Sure. I mean, I've been doing it now for a year. Uh, you know, so, so Cucumber Limited. Uh, I hope Matt and my colleagues don't mind me saying this. It's a startup. And what happens to most startups? They fold, right? So uh, if the Cucumber Limited is successful in what it does, excellent. I've been product owning a training part of the business. We'll have uh, we'll IPO'd or we'll have uh, generated loads of jobs or done something wonderful. If we, f if we fold, I'll maybe look at it and go, well, maybe I could have done that better and try again, or maybe I'll do something else instead. Yeah, it just seems like in your career you've done lots of different things, and and you just uh, I, the word that it comes always comes to mind with me for you is like a sense of adventure when it comes to your career. You know, like you're not afraid to try different things. That's certainly true. I I reckon the the only sentence 
the only word in the previous sentence that I have issue with is the word career. I just don't see it as a career. So, I mean, back in the day when people would have said career, you know, you think of that five-year plan or logical progression and when am I going to have my first, uh, uh, when am I going to get married, when am I going to have a child, when am I going to get promoted to a management position. And, uh, yeah, I, I've had zero plan. I've reacted to things as they come along. It's worked fine for me. Um, it might work for other people, but I, I couldn't possibly recommend it. It's worked for me, though. Mm, yeah. Well, and it reminds me too. I heard the story of how you you've hitchhiked a lot too, mm. uh, right? You've yep. hitchhiked Aust Australia. Yep. Uh, I I hitchhiked to Turkey. I've hitchhiked around Spain. Um, yeah. I've, I've that, done that, 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 yeah. That's a sense of adventure in my mind. That's someone who's adventurous and taking things as they come. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I really, you know, when I was in Australia, I was nineteen. And I had, me and my pal had gone out there, we bought a car and it was clearly dying. We were staying in this caravan site and one morning I just thought, you know, I can't be bothered with nursing this r rubbish old car anymore. So I slung my rucksack on my back, I walked over the hill out of the campsite onto the road and stuck my thumb out. I had very little idea where I was going and I got picked up by some um, old Australian guy who I couldn't understand his accent was so broad and I still don't know where I ended up but um, <laughs> I'm here now that, that's that's so great what a like a metaphor I think I, I feel like that's a metaphor at least for my career <laughs> I feel like I stuck my thumb out and I because if I, I, I do talk about career but I, I will be honest with you I've never had I, when someone says what's your five or ten year plan I'm like to be alive <laughs> um, I don't I, I don't think in that way I'm a strategist for a living but that's I don't think about my career in that way I, th I feel like I'm, I'm that person who stuck out their thumb and said okay where where is it gonna take me let's take the adventure let's take the ride so uh, I, I love uh, I love that story um, well thank you so much for coming on the show today I really appreciate yeah. I really really appreciate you coming on thanks for having me it's been fun